0: On behalf of Leinberg Information Services, this is Bob Keebler, and we're here to talk about Section 199 Cap A, an executive summary. An important part of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act is Section 199 Cap A, the 20% small business deduction. Just as a matter of background, this came as a balancing point to the reduction in the corporate tax rate from 34% down to 21%. So. Congress realized they had to do something on the LLC and S-Corp side to keep our LLCs and S-Corporations competitive with C-Corporations. Otherwise, there would be a massive sea change when everybody wanted to morph into a C-Corporation. So what I'd like to do today is provide a little explanation of Section 199 Cap A, go through some of the math, talk about general planning ideas, trust planning, and gift planning. So there, there's a lot to know. But the opportunity here is endless, and the opportunity is not just for CPAs that are going to be doing these tax returns, but for financial planners and trust officers who will have these things, have businesses that need attention on this, and for lawyers who will be doing the legal documents for the restructurings and helping design these restructurings. So basically, the deduction equals 20% of qualified business income, and it's available to owners of pass-through business entities. Now, there is a limitation for specified services businesses like health, law, accounting. There's a whole list. I'll go through that list. Unfortunately, there is a limit to this deduction based upon the owner's taxable income. Once you have a taxable income in excess of what we call the threshold amount, you have to start doing wage and capital testing. So this could apply to sole proprietorships. It certainly applies to real estate certainly applies to S-Corps. It certainly applies to partnerships and LLCs. All qualify, but the computation is different. The threshold exemption. If you're a married couple and you're below $315,000, you're good. You don't have to worry about, you just multiply your qualified business income by 20% and you get your deduction. If you are a single person, that cutoff is at one fifty dollars For estates and non-grantor trusts, the cutoff is at 157.5. What happens with this threshold amount? So the heart of planning is managing taxable income and the wage and capital limitation. Once you go over, for a married couple, once you go over 315000 you enter into a world where you have a, a scale back of your deduction if you're in a service business. So a doctor, if she was making 315, dollars she would only pay tax on 80% of that $252,000. However, if she made 415 she would pay income tax on the entire $415,000. It's really that simple. Now, taxable income, once you go o- over the 415 if you're in a service business, there's no more deduction whatsoever. For the service business, now let's say you had real estate and a service business. So you're um, a CPA and you own... 5 or 10 buildings and things are really good. You've done a nice job over a long period of time. The rents are good. These buildings are paid for. You can you might not get the deduction on your CPA practice, but you would get the deduction on your buildings. Okay, so that's important. But because your income's high, you have to go through the wage and capital testing. Non-service business wage and capital testing begins at $415,000. There's a phase in between 315 and 415. In a very simplified way, for non-service businesses with taxable income in excess of 415000 the deduction is limited to the greater of 50% of W-2 wages or 25% of W-2 wages plus 2.5% of unadjusted basis. Let me give you an example. If you made a million dollars, your QBI deduction would be 200000 And if you had $500,000 of wages, you multiply that by 50%, now you've passed the wage and capital test because $500,000 of wages is $250,000. Your QBI deduction is only 200. dollars You pass. Now the 25% of wages plus 2.5% of an unadjusted basis, a little bit different calculation, but you basically multiply what you originally paid for the building without land by 2.5% or if you bought a machine, it would be 2.5% of that machine you have to look to something called qualified property. Qualified property is what you're going to multiply by 2.5%. And that is tangible property being depreciated. Land does not count. And the depreciation period is the later of how long you would normally depreciate it or 10 years. So for a building, an apartment building, you get 27.5 years. For a commercial building, you get 39 years. But for a washer and dryer or a desk, which would probably be a five year life, you would get a 10 year period of time where that is qualified property under these rules. Now, so you have, to, you have to have qualified property and you multiply by what's called the unadjusted basis. And that's equal to the basis immediately after acquisition, not adjusted for depreciation, with special considerations for bonus depreciation in 179. Really don't know how bonus in 179 is gonna impact qualified property. So let's say your clients, uh, Bill and Linda, and their young son Mikey, run a YouTube channel where they review toys. The business has no qualified property, million of QBI and about the same taxable income. If they were a sole proprietorship, they would receive no deduction because they couldn't pass the wage and capital test. The same thing for a partnership. However, if they were an S-corp and you had them draw out wages of 300000 their QBI deduction would be based on the 700 of qualified business income they had left after wages. That would be $140,000. Fifty percent of the $300,000 of wages would be $150,000. They would pass the wage test. So some, the moral of the story is some businesses are going to want to jump from a LLC or a partnership into an S-corp. And other businesses that are already S-corps are going to want to figure a way to go back into a C-corp. The other thing we have is we have to watch out for vanishing basis. Let's say you represent Patrick. Uh, He's a very dynamic lawyer, owns a building he practices in. If the building was acquired 40 years ago, it cannot be considered for the 2.5% test because he's already fully depreciated. That basis has, in essence, vanished. Now, if the building was only acquired five years ago, it could be considered for the 2.5% test. But once you get done with depreciation, that is no longer a piece of qualified property. Remember, the basis of land does not qualify. There is an issue of whether you have a trader business, and we're waiting to see what the IRS does with the regs on this, but hopefully they will have a more liberal interpretation of what a trader business is, similar to what the courts have done over time, rather than the interpretation they, they had with the 1411 regs for 3.8%. Now this specified service business, I'm gonna read the statute just to make it easy for us. So if you're in one of these specified service businesses, once you go over 315 of income, you start to lose the deduction, the 199 cap A deduction, and when you get to 415 of income, your deduction with respect to your service business goes away. Let's read this together. Any trade or business involving the performance of services in the fields of health, law, accounting, actuarial science, performing arts, consulting, athletics, financial services, brokerage services, or any trader business where the principal asset of such trader business is the reputation or skill of one or more of its employees. So that is the definition. If you're listening to this and you're a financial planner, you're caught. If you're a lawyer, you're caught. If you're a CPA, you're caught. Basically, you can see where they're targeting. If you're in a specified service business, and your income is exactly three fifteen, your deduction will be eighty percent of that. However, if your income jumped to four fifteen, your deduction goes to zero. And between three fifteen and four fifteen you just prorate how much of your deduction you lose. So if you were at exactly the midpoint, three hundred and sixty five thousand dollars, you would lose half of your deduction. Now when you have a partnership, the partners share these tax attributes for purposes of doing the wage and capital testing. So they will share those, those tax attributes. One thing that's very important is a lot of the planning in this area is going to be trying to get income off the matriarch and patriarch's tax returns and shift that income to the children or to trust for the children or to the grandchildren or to trust for the grandchildren. Of course with the grandchildren, there's a lot of asset protection issues you need to be conscious of. But let's say we go to trusts. Every trust will have a $157,500 threshold. So let's say that your clients, Mike and Karen earned, had an apartment building that was their only asset, they earned $400,000. Because of their income and because they can't pass the wage and capital test, they get no 199 deduction. Now, if they qualify to be an $80,000 deduction, it would save them about $25,000. Just absorb that for a second. $25,000, a lot of money to anyone. Here we go. What if they moved 25% of the business to trust for their children and grandchildren? Now they would move $100,000 off of their tax return onto the trust tax return. They would now qualify because they were below the threshold exemption, and the trust would qualify because it would be below the threshold exemption of $157,500. Lots of math that we have to go through. And in many of the examples I've worked on, we'll go through all that math. What I want to talk about now is leverage is problematic because we want to determine where to put our debt. If a physician came to you and she said, I need to borrow $100,000, do I borrow against my receivables in my medical practice or do I borrow against the building? If you borrow against the receivables, the deduction is going to be worth $0.37 on the dollar. If you borrow against the real estate entity the deduction the value of the deduction is likely only to be twenty nine point six cents on the dollar so very important it's going to affect where you have your clients borrow. Cost segregation studies are also potentially problematic in our initial present values what we what we're seeing is most people should not necessarily shy away from cost segregation studies but you do have to understand your clients have to understand that it's not the cost segregations. it's not the same benefit as you would have had before the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, because, notably because, you're not able to use that as qualified property once you've ridden it off completely. So if you took $100,000 of property in a building and you turned it into five year property rather than 27 year property, you only multiply by two and a half percent for 10 years, not for the entire 27 and a half years. Remember, older property is problematic. Once something is completely depreciated, that property vanishes. You also have property where, the, where you fade out, meaning if I bought a building 20 years ago and that building has gone from $100,000 to $300,000, my rents are now based on $300,000, I'm not gonna have enough capital to pass the capital test. One thing that's gonna be very fascinating going forward is the timing of income and expenses will be absolutely critical, because every year you're gonna wanna land below 315. So you're gonna wanna make sure your timing when your income comes in and when you, if you're on a cash basis, when you spend your money. On the planning idea side, there's a lot we can do planning-wise. One area to look out for is if you have a service business owner with Basically, that rents their own building. You do not want that building in the same entity as a service business. You'd want to have a, a medical practice, and you'd want to have a real estate LLC. The real estate LLC would lease its property to the medical practice. The money that ends up in the real estate LLC should qualify for 199 cafe. Now, that lease should not be a triple net lease. We do not want a triple net lease because we don't know if that's going to be in a trade or business. The question is. If you already have a, a building in a medical LLC, can you spin it out on a tax-free basis? You're not going to be able to spin it out of a C-Corp generally on a tax-free basis. In the world of service businesses, if a physician, she comes to you and she says, you know, I'm going to be like at 415, um, I'm going to lose this total deduction, what can we do to get me from 415 to 315? Here's your hit list. Define benefit plans, define contribution plans, oil and gas, bonus depreciation in 179 spin out practice buildings, um, possibly spin out equipment and lease it back to the entity, those will be things we really have to think through. Possibly spin out the non-service business aspects. For example, if you had a chiropractor and he had his chiropractic practice and sold all of the herbs and minerals and vitamins in the same entity, if that's the case, then what you'd want to do is spin out the herbs, minerals, and vitamins into a separate business, a non-service business, and try to take the 20% deduction on that side. There's a lot of very aggressive things people are proposing, which I'm not enamored with. For example, have a dentist create a billing entity that just does the administration for his practice. And you'd have a dental entity, which wouldn't qualify necessarily once the income gets too high, and you'd have a non-dental entity, the billing. Aspect it might qualify. I I think the service is going to shut that down in these regs, but we'll see So the big thing will be doing um, Defined benefit plans where the deductions are very very large. So that's going to be important. We also have to talk about Recapitalizing businesses. How do we capitalize businesses with interest and debt? We have to look at should we be spinning out or merging businesses to manage the deduction? So there is going to be a lot of things to work through and just a, a lot of opportunities. And the opportunities are not just for CPAs. There's a lot of opportunities for financial planners and a lot of opportunities for lawyers. Lawyers are going to have to wrap their mind around this because CPAs are going to be coming to them saying, we want to do this type of reorg, and we're going to end up with a better product for the client if the lawyer has a deep understanding of Section 199 CAP A. Again, one thing, remember, trying to get income off, inc- off of the 1040 onto 1041s is going to be a very powerful thing. Um, many people have talked about this. Uh, Steve Oceans uh, has done a lot of comment. He and I have taught on this quite a, quite a bit, and we're really wrapping our mind around how to do this very quickly. It may involve completed gifts, or it may involve non grantor or incomplete gift trusts. This has been a 20-minute summary. Um, my goal today was to give you some good knowledge in this area, ideas of, and really a, an idea of why you need to devote some time this summer to wrapping your mind around how 199 Cap A works. We think the opportunity to help your clients here are just endless. Virtually anyone that has real estate or a closely held business needs to understand 199 Cap A. I've done enough lecturing to client groups. I can tell you absolutely, Clients do not have their mind around this and they need your help. On behalf of Weinberg Information Services, this has been Bob Keebler providing an executive summary of Section 199 Cap A.